Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Everything Left. I'm your host, Amy, and joining me again, we have Addie. Hello. And for the first time, we're joined by Hannah. Hi everybody, I'm Hannah. Thank you for joining us, Hannah. Okay, what would you like me to say about myself? Whatever you'd like. Well, my name is Hannah. I'm joining in from Tel Aviv, Israel right now, where I've been an participant on a trip called A Wider Bridge, which is an LGBTQ leaders seminar learning about the Middle East. I am a transgender woman, a bisexual as well, and an advocate in LGBTQ spaces. And I'm just really excited to be joining Everything Left tonight. And we're excited to have you. Thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you so much. The Americans are starting to rule. Amy, do you feel the pressure? No. <laughs> no? No? Okay, what about the Jews? We're the majority here. Our first topic tonight is going to cover some difficult areas. It's going to be talking about LGBT youth and the dangers that they face. At one point during this conversation, we do reference conversion therapy, and we do have first-hand accounts from victims of conversion therapy in this section. These accounts are not easy to listen to by any stretch. If it's something that you don't want to hear, please skip ahead. However, I think that this kind of content is important to listen to. It's important for those people who don't quite understand what's happening with this kind of practice to hear these first-hand accounts. It's important to spread this kind of message and show people exactly what's going on. And for that reason, we, we have included it in the show. Members of the Tea Party in Texas, specifically a senator called Connie Burton, has filed legislation that would effectively require public school employees to out LGBT students to their parents. So she's basically drawing huge marks on the kids' foreheads. Yeah, essentially she is helping people target LGBT youth. Oh, humanity! How do you think your logical is beyond me? Basically, she's um, filed Senate Bill 242 that would have teachers and school employees who failed to disclose a student's sexual orientation or gender identity to parents would face disciplinary action, even if that It goes against has... the child's wishes. Yeah, even if the child says, I'm, I'm going through this, please don't tell my parents, the school employees would have to do that or face consequences which is just insane in in my view i don't get that this has not been put in place to benefit children at all this is to benefit parents who want to interfere in their child's lives it's not benefiting anyone that's the problem it's simply to cause a disruption and some form of chaos in a place where you know is a freaking powder keg you want to drop a match. I mean, why Why would anyone ask a, a person to, to tell them something that was told in confidence? I mean, that's the idea of, of school staff. They're supposed to support students when possible. I don't understand why people do that. I don't understand why people decide to simply uh, take control of someone else's lives through uh, a fear and intimidation and they know that people may actually be in danger because of this. Well, from what I've, I'm seeing here, it seems to be as a backlash to 
pro-LGBT bills and legislation that's coming in. I think it's tremendously dangerous, and actually, I've been working on the exact same problem and concerns from parents in my own high school in New Jersey, which recently passed affirming policies for transgender students through their Board of Education with a similar addendum, or not addendum, but a similar provision that the school was not necessarily immediately obliged to tell parents when a student confided within them. And people were saying, oh, this is usurping parental control. And this is the school doing something which is violating parental rights. And that's completely not the way to look at it. It's a very important thing to remember that it is not always in the best interest of a young child or adult for their parent to know that they have a different gender identity than their parent might be aware of. The same goes for sexuality in terms of orientation or even that they're sexual at all. And in fact, especially in my own home state of New Jersey, the law already provides accommodation for this in the case of minors who are seeking care for certain things related to sexually transmitted diseases, as well as contraception and even pregnancy for planning that, that in certain cases, the law respects not that parental rights are usurped, but that they are no longer the final say and that care decisions shift even in the case of a minor to that minor. And I think these are very important precedents to remind people of and that this is really the same thing. I think the problem is mostly that people see it as taking away parents' rights and parents' control, and they don't see it from the proper point of view of the fact that you invalidate the rights of students and you may harm them and you take away students' rights and control over themselves. Because the moment you tell a student that even if they ask a teacher not to tell their parents and the teacher has to because of a stupid law, then you are harming the student. No matter if there are consequences at home, the fact is simple that the students will no longer trust the system. Mm. No, and we should definitely hope that a school system like mine in New Jersey, the Pascack Valley High School District, or for that matter, any of the school systems in Texas are hiring excellent caliber teachers who transcend mere pedagogy to become lifelong mentors and confidants of our children. Sometimes these are the first adults that our children within our communities feel comfortable coming out to. And you're completely right to violate their trust is absolutely dangerous. But furthermore, I think the important thing to remind people who are listening is that this is not about saying that a parent will not find out about what is going on with their child. Absolutely not the case. I think pregnancy is the best example to offer as a parallel that it's hard to hide after a while. The same thing with gender identity. It's hard to hide. So the point is is not to say that parents are not going to find this information out. It's about buying the student time to come to this with their parents from a position of relative safety, to collect the information they need from proper sources, be they medical, be they legal, to ensure their physical and emotional safety through systems that be, whether it be family services, whether it be the UK equivalent, the National Health Service and its social work branches, whatever the jurisdiction they might be in, 
and making sure that they are accounting for all of the possibilities. And everybody wants to hope that a parent will say, okay, we're going to work through this, or at least will say, I don't understand this, but I'm willing to listen and to love my child more than my image of my child as the two branch apart from one another. But unfortunately, we live in a society where acceptance is still the exception rather than the expectation. And we have to account for that, as the law already has when it comes to a pregnant child or one who comes across a sexually transmitted infection. But the point is that one of the the backlashes of this law is that in certain places, especially in, in that area, because Texas is known for somewhat problematic views when it comes to sexual orientation and gender identity, is that it could create a big problem for students who live in households that don't accept them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it could, you're, you might actually endanger a student's life due to this law because it, uh, best case scenario in a household like that, the students get tossed out. Worst mm-hmm. case scenario, that student gets to a morgue. Which has happened before. So the point is, I don't really view anything positive about a law like that. Isn't Texas one of the states as well where they haven't banned conversion therapy, where where it's still legal? So if if this school if school turns around and tells a family your son is gay, your daughter's a lesbian, your your child is trans, what's to stop the parents turning around and? putting their child in extreme danger because of their their own views it's surely this law is opening up a whole wealth of dangers up to including the death of children oh absolutely there is no denying that whatsoever and conversion therapy whether or not it's legal will still likely exist in one form or another Even if it's not labeled such, the powers that be will call it something else. If they don't call it conversion therapy, they'll call it elective orientation therapy. They'll call it happiness therapy. They'll put whatever badge on it, makes it sell and makes it skirt whatever regulations. But, you know, a rose by any other name or a flaming bag of poop by any other name is still a flaming bag of poop. So I think that's something we really need to acknowledge for people is that This is something which is absolutely essential to protect as far as students go. And we should hope that we never have to use it, that we never have to invoke these protections. And I think that's where education on these laws and how they're being put up as protecting of parents but are actually denying of students' identities is tremendously important for us as advocates. Because at the end of the day, whatever a parent thinks about their child's gender identity is really not relevant to the child's gender identity. And that's the thing about it. I compare gender identity all the time to handedness. There are righties and there are lefties in this world. And you can try this at home, grab a pen, put it in the opposite hand than you normally write with. And how does it feel? Probably not too normal, probably not too comfortable. It's still you who's doing the writing, but it's not the best you you can possibly be. But how do you know which hand your crayon or your marker or your pen belongs in? You just know. And we have an uneven distribution between people who use one hand versus the other and a smaller minority that use both. 
and some people don't don't have hands whatsoever. And we need as a society to be building a place where everyone can be accommodated rather than trying to tell people, as we did for generations, that the only acceptable way to be is a right-handed person. It got to the point where quite literally being left-handed, or as it comes from Latin, was literally called evil Mm. or sinister. I find it weird that people would prefer to kill their children or harm their children in any way, and in some cases sending them to to that form of... uh, I don't even dare to call it therapy because it's not therapy. It's it's just disgusting. And, And they know it would harm them in some form, and yet... They're willing to send their child to, to that god-awful place. Well, I don't think parents know that it's going to harm them, and that's where the education has to come in. I'm pretty sure the way they find it, they describe. I'm pretty sure where they find it, they describe what they'll do to the children, and parents are still willing to send their kids there. Yeah, Plus, there are enough... If they're, if they're willing to do that, to them, it's it doesn't matter what happens to their child in a physical or psychological sense as long as they are in line with what they think is right and I, I hate to sound like and stereotyping but a lot of it comes down to a religious belief they would rather save their child's soul in the afterlife in the expense of their happiness and physical safety here and now as long as their child does what's right in the eyes of god they can do horrible things to them to correct that Physical therapy was my hands being um, tied down and blocks of ice being placed on my hands. Then pictures of men holding hands would be shown to me, so that way I would associate the concept of the pain of ice with a man touching me. It worked really, really, really well. My dad could barely even hug me anymore when I would scream out in pain. Then we went into heat. So um, coils would be wrapped around my hands and you would be able to turn the heat on or off. So now if we had a picture of a guy and a girl hugging, it was no pain. If there was a picture of a guy and a guy hugging, we had physical pain. Um, we then went into the, um, the month of hell. The month of hell consisted of tiny needles being stuck into my fingers, um, and then uh, pictures of explicit acts between men would be shown and I'd be electrocuted. At this point, I was completely done. God did not want me on this earth anymore. Um, so we lived on a three-story building. I told my sister goodbye, and I walked to the, I walked to the roof. So my mom finds me up on the roof. Uh, says, you know, she will love me again if I will just change. Because my sister had tattled on me. Um, my mom's up there. You know, you'll, she'll love me again if I'll just change. You have to generally give parents the benefit of the doubt that they are trying, not saying doing, but trying to do what they believe is in the best interest of their child. And that can be a commendable thing. That being said, it's like the parents who decide not to vaccinate their children. There is no credible medical evidence that not vaccinating your child is saving your child from anything. In fact, it's exposing them as well as the children around them to many diseases, which, thank God, mainstream society literally eradicated for some of us generations ago and trying to bring that back in a way that is tremendously detrimental, especially when it's more than just a few isolated pockets and the idea of herd immunity can be broken. But... You have to work with parents from that perspective, and you have to ease them into this. If you are talking about vaccines, 
the one of the things that really annoy me about it is you'd rather a child be sick than them being autistic because step away from me if you do. That's just bullshit. Even if that happened, even if that happened and there was actually a link to autism, you'd rather your child may die than be autistic. Nobody thinks their child is going to be the one who gets mumps. Yeah, but that's not a good enough reason. I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just telling you that's... Yeah, no, I, I know you me. don't disagree, but, you know, it's just... It it lacks logic. It A lot of these things actually lack logic, and that's the thing that bugs me. That's a very fair point to be bugged by. So, this law, which will put... Well, hopefully it won't pass, because hopefully the lawmakers in Texas are smart enough to understand that they can't do that to people. But the odds are, in a Tea Party state, mm-hmm. yeah, LGBT kids are screwed. Yeah. I don't like to think of it that dark. I think that I've actually lived in Texas for a month, and there are amazing people there. There are true heroes, and you, again, can't other an entire state. I think that's a very not. dangerous thing to do. But I definitely agree that there are huge risks that the current situation is completely unsustainable and that there are going to be casualties along the way while this gets sorted out. But I am very cautious to say that there is hope, that there are amazing people in Texas and that there is a lot to look forward to from that state. But the point is... And I I usually say this, and I'm aware of the fact that sometimes... I know generalization is problematic, but my point is always that stupid voices are louder than smart. Yeah. And the point is that a lot of the hateful people are loud. So we view this nation, the state which I'm sure there are amazing people there, and I know amazing people there, but we view it as a problematic state simply because there are a lot of people who are really loud and spew hatred towards other people, and the problem is that's what we usually hear. So obviously I don't think all of Texas is problematic, because that makes no sense and it's stupid. Mm -hmm. But still... There are a lot of problematic people in Texas. There are a lot of problematic people everywhere else. And if this law does pass, then there are a lot of kids in danger. I completely agree with you. My honest-to-God hope is that it will not pass. And I think that, fortunately, we are in luck in the sense that we are seeing a lot of ultra right wing and quite frankly bigoted ideals coming out of the woodwork now that Donald Trump has been elected and some of the conservatives think at first that they have carte blanche to bring this all out in this uh, honeymoon from hell period. That being said, I'm very much hoping that common sense and sanity and education on these issues will over time prevail and that the powers that be will realize that as these new sessions start in January, that their powers to enact some of these things will not be as unrestricted or as easy a path as they perhaps first anticipated. I think we saw a lot of that going through with North Carolina, where I was working as an LGBTQ organizer for the Democratic Coordinated Campaign, 
which was the campaign to elect Hillary Clinton as president of the United States in North Carolina, as well as Roy Cooper as governor, who actually won, and Deborah Ross as senator, although she did not win, nor did Hillary, as well as all of the other down-ballot candidates, on which we were split in terms of success and unsuccess. But to remind people that Governor Pat McCrory became the champion of North Carolina's House Bill 2, which determined that the basis of gender use of bathrooms in state facilities should be based on one's birth certificate, that this bill was widely panned by liberal groups as well as businesses across the country, and that nearly a billion dollars worth of investment in the state through concerts, sports league games, college sports games, and other infrastructure investment by major companies was withdrawn or canceled in the state, that Pat McCrory cost the state a billion dollars as well as its international reputation. And I would say, hey, I was working in North Carolina, and people would just know about HB2 and say, what the hell is going on there? And instead of being, you know, an awesome state to say you were from because of the research triangle or because of the liberal mentality and the progressive mindset as compared to the rest of the American South, as well as the beautiful beaches and the beautiful mountains and everything the state had to offer, we were focused on the fact that they made a law saying who could go in what bathroom, which was a solution looking for a problem. And I think that we're going to see a lot of that same thing happen in Texas if they try to push forward legislation like this. It's kind of like something we talked about in the past, Amy, the... the blind eye that people cast towards problematic behavior from legislators mm-hmm. and I just find it stupid that the fact that people actually believe that you can take an entire group of people and and deem them sexual deviants on something that you have no no proof to it just came to you because of your own misunderstanding of what's going on in their head. Unfortunately yep. for, for a lot of people, proof doesn't doesn't matter. It's it's their belief that matters. If they believe in something strong enough, that's that's all that matters, whether it's a religious belief, a political belief, you know, if if they believe hard enough, they're right. That's all there if is I to think it. it. It must be true. Yeah. Which is why again, it's not to stereotype but looking at people of religion where they say this happened it, it absolutely is true it's like okay well where's the proof it's like, oh no you don't need proof you just need faith it's like that's that's not how it works your belief in something does not make it real no matter how much you want it to be and that's what these people are doing they they believe that lgbt people are predators that they're deviants that they're destroying the moral fabric of society because they believe it not based on any proof or anything you know you, you can look at the debate around trans bathroom use it's like no trans people in bathrooms will increase sexual assaults it's like well here's proof that says otherwise no that doesn't matter i was right we're not predators we're nerds this is the kind of stuff that's going to come out of this law in Texas, where it's a, a mother in Minnesota has filed a lawsuit against her 17-year-old mm-hmm. transgender daughter. And basically her, her grievance is that she didn't know her daughter was trans and that she'd started to receive treatment for being trans in, in mm-hmm. 
the sense of hormone replacement therapy. So she is suing her child, the school district, healthcare providers, because she feels that she's been, she actually says in her news conference, robbed of the opportunity to help her son. And she feels that he was robbed of a, a key advocate in his life, in the sense of her. And I, I use the male pronouns there because in every statement she's That's made, she's yeah, she, she refuses to even acknowledge her child is trans. She's she's not angry that she wasn't there for her daughter at this time. She's angry that her daughter is trans and she's lashing out. That's that's all this seems to be. Last year, without my knowledge or consent, without any court hearings or legal process, uh, without any involvement on my part whatsoever, um, a legal aid group that gives free services to low-income people created a, a notice of emancipation for my 15-year-old son. Suddenly, my son, without any notice to me, was no longer under my supervision. Based on that piece of paper alone, he began receiving public assistance, including medical services and housing and food support. The St. Louis County Health and Human Services treated him as an adult. I couldn't get any information regarding my son. Even the school refused to allow me access to his records. I was, it was then brought to my knowledge that my son had begin, begun receiving hormone replacement um, treatments from Park Nicollet Health Services to transition from male to female uh, with medical assistance paying for this. Excuse me. I was not consulted or inform, informed about this in any way. I had no way to give or receive any information about my son. Since then, Fairview Health Services of Hibbing has also prescribed narcotics to my son. I am forbidden to be involved with his very important health needs. The news that county agencies and health service providers, the school and other county and state offices were completely bypassing me came as a complete and total shock. Why wasn't I even notified? I believe that my constitutional civil right to have my case heard in a court of law has been stripped from me. If this had been a child custody case, I would have had my day in court. If my son were to be placed in foster care, I would have had my day in court. Or if he had been referred to child protection, I would have had my day in court. I am firmly committed to what is best for my son. I am his mother, and he has always been and always will be welcome in our home. He has three older siblings and three younger siblings who still live in the home, not the older sibling. <laughs> and we all love him beyond words and care very, very deeply about his well-being. As a mother, I know his emotional and physical needs in no way, in a way no one else can. I also have a commitment to him that no one else has. And I feel not only was I robbed of the opportunity to help and guide my son make good decisions, but I also feel that he was robbed of a key advocate in his life, his mother. I'm taking this action today so that the courts will recognize my due process rights under the United States Constitution. And so for that, the good of my son, the courts will restore my parental rights. I'm also taking this action for the benefit of all parents and families who may be facing the same violation of their rights so that they and others in the future may be spared from the same tragic events.
Thank you. I think I know what her daughter lacked under the influence of her mother. Estrogen. But that's, <laughs> that's usually why she seek medical help. But that could be only my opinion. I really hate when parents do that. They, they totally invalidate the child's concept of self, and then they wonder why they, their children won't interact with them. Yeah. It's, I, I don't accept this at all. Why didn't you tell me? Because you wouldn't accept it. It's like it's it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're such jerks to their kids, and then they're shocked that their kids haven't involved them, haven't discussed it with them. But the point is, she could have told her, and the mother just invalidated it. Yeah, and it's we've like, seen it's cases not... of that before with Lila Alcorn, for example. Yeah, because because that didn't end horribly for her, did it? I mean, I'd rather see this girl be sued than be suicide, but yeah. I don't like either. But the the problem is is that the state because it's it's Minnesota and and it says that in the article that the moment the child leaves home and especially since she's seventeen, which is a fairly older age, mm-hmm. then she's an eman- emancipated child, emancipated young adult. Mm-hmm. That means she has every right to to pursue medical treatment, hormone therapy treatment, and just. Well, the mother can go all screw herself in that point. And she basically already has, and that's a shame, and I hope that these two individuals reconcile one day and that this mother has a long path to go down, and I really don't want this to be the end of their relationship. I really hope not. But it is going to take time. Can I tell the listeners a story? Of course. Oh, thank you. So this is a story that I used to tell people on the Transgender Lifeline, Trans Lifeline it's called, in the United States where I used to volunteer. And actually I was a trainer for other volunteers who would take anonymous calls from trans, intersex, and non-binary youth uh, for listening and crisis support. And so the story goes like this. And again, it's not about trans specifically, but I think it's a great parable, is there was once a young doctor, PhD student, and this is totally true, whose name was Eric Candle. You can look him up. He's very famous in neuroscience, and I'll explain why. So he wanted to study the brain and learning and how humans react differently to different situations when shown repeated stimuli and how we change our responses. And he said, you know what? I want to study this on the sea slug. In scientific terms, it's called aplasia. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a sea slug before, but it basically does everything a sea slug you would think does, but less. It's like a snail without a shell that sits in the water. And the one thing it has, the little gill complex connected to a little mouth called the siphon. And when you tap the siphon, the gills retract. And maybe that's some kind of response that makes it smaller so it's harder to be eaten. It's hard to speculate what's going on in the mind of a sea slug. In fact, that's what Dr. Candle's detractors said when he embarked upon this research. They said, you know, Dr. Candle, Eric, if you want to study the brain, pick an organism that has one. Well, he went on to study these sea slugs. He would set them up. He would poke them with a stick over and over and over again. And he would shock them with electricity. And over time, he was able to demonstrate response patterns, how he could change them and manipulate them, which basically became the foundation for how we understand learning in a neuroscientific sense in any organism starting with the sea slug and up. 
So what did Dr. Kendall get for his trouble and for all his detractors? Just a little Nobel Prize in medicine. So the reason I tell this story to people and this overcoming of a different kind of adversity is the moral, the way I see it is, is that it has been scientifically proven that a sea slug can learn. So can your parents. You just have to poke them hard enough, shock them long enough and wait around to see what happens. And I think that's something that we underestimate when we talk about parents and especially accepting parents when they are confronted with their queer, transgender, gay and lesbian, etc. children, that coming out for me was coming out for my mom and my dad and all of my siblings too. And just like it took me years to come to terms with myself, we have to understand that for parents, that process can be just as arduous. And part of that is okay. What we have to do is spread the narrative that these parents, like the children themselves, are not alone, that we acknowledge their concerns, and that this is a tremendous deviation from the beautiful vision of their child's life and their future that will outlast their own, that we all have for our offspring and should have, but that it is not the end, that it is just a different direction, and that we will be there as a community to support them through this. And I think these are all things we can do. And I just remind people that above all, never to write anyone off forever. I think there are definitely situations where a child has to remove him or themselves or be removed from an unsafe situation. But I call me the eternal optimist, want to hold out hope that there will be reconciliation in this case in Minnesota and many other like it. Like I said, I would rather see this young woman sued than suicide. And I think the fact that she's alive, the fact that she's even being called he by her mother, there's a chance and there's a chance for building and growth and it won't happen overnight. But I love that that is where this story is at and not that she is burying her child. I, th I think the problem is that I agree with the fact that there it's better at this point. But the problem is that a lot of parents are unwilling to accept the fact that their children may have a different position or, or a different identity than what they initially thought. Mm -hmm. I remember when I came out to my parents, uh, my dad just said that he will not ever refer to me in male pronouns because he could never see me as anything other than female, which hurt And I think that parents a lot of time just dismiss their children's ability to, to have a self. Mm. And I think parents should learn to be more open-minded. But I th And I think that a lot of times the fact that they deny their children the, the fact, the, deny their children the right to be more supportive of them regarding these things is is very painful that is so true i mean i look, I look you both live out of the house and and your your both your your parents accepted you and i live still live with my parents because i don't have uh, any other option at the moment so it's it's weird to to be seen as something that isn't right Because I'm listening. They, because they think that there's a lot, there's too much to fix in me. But at least I'm not getting sued. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, always, always a bonus. Yep. Always look on the positive side of life. Doo-doo. Always look on the bright side of life. Doo-doo. I don't think Doo-doo. we had Doo-doo. brightness today. Did you guys see the video from the cast of Hamilton addressing Mike Pence? Not yet. But it's, it's really good because basically they just, all they do is call him out and say, look, we're worried that you're not going to represent a diverse America and prove us wrong. You know, it's, it's not an attack or anything like that. It's just they're basically asking him to be the best vice president he can be, which yes. is, is a good thing. I You know, it wasn't an attack. It wasn't tearing him down. Um, but what the backlash of this is a lot of Trump supporters have seen this as an attack. I encourage everybody to pull out your phones and tweet and post because this message needs to be spread far and wide, okay? Vice President-elect Pence, we welcome you and we truly thank you for joining us here at Hamilton and American Musical. We really do. We, sir, we are the diverse America who are alarmed and anxious that your new administration will not protect us. Our planet, our children, our parents, or defend us and uphold our inalienable rights, sir. But we truly hope that this show has inspired you to uphold our American values and to work on behalf of all of us. All of us. Again, we truly thank you for sharing this show, this wonderful American story told by a diverse group of men and women of different colors, creeds, and orientations. What's happened is, despite this not being an attack or a ridicule, a lot of people that support Pence and Trump are seeing it that way, and people are now demanding apologies from the cast, a boycott <laughs> of the show, and Donald Trump himself has has tweeted on this, and there are two tweets he's done which are, are phenomenally funny. Um, the first <laughs> one is... Our wonderful future Vice President Mike Pence was harassed last night at the theatre by the cast of Hamilton. <laughs> this should not happen. And and the one that really makes me laugh is, the theatre must always be a safe and special place. The cast of Hamilton was very rude last night to a very good man. Apologise. Donald Trump is complaining about a theatre not being a safe space for his bigoted friend. <laughs> Because speech is no longer free, obviously. I mean, I, I, I hate to take a page from Donald Trump and Mike Pence when they say really berserk things that hint at, uh, you know, very violent things that should happen to presidential candidates or presidents. Like they may have accused with Hillary Clinton and said, you know, uh, what about the target on her back in different ways? about what would happen to her with security or, you know, the Second Amendment people. But just to take a page from them, uh, you know, haven't Republican presidents learned a thing or two about going to the theater? (laughs) I do have to say, I read a tweet about it that said, Mike Pence was the most unpopular vice president in a show about where the vice president kills the hero of the play. (laughs) That tells you something about him. 
<laughs> I also like uh, how can you bo- boycott a show that was sold out? <laughs> it just opens up some tickets. I I just also love the sheer goal that Donald Trump is complaining that a theater isn't a safe space. I knew that he used that phrase. It's like this is a man who brags about sexually assaulting women, mocks disabled people, but you know, every horrible thing you can name. And now he complains about safe spaces. Of course. I, I just don't think he understands the concept of what a safe space is. So now he complains about them because... I completely agree. And since when is a theater a safe space? You, you're not supposed to talk in it. A safe space for whom? <laughs> you're not supposed to talk in it. That's the best kind of space for Donald Trump. You're not supposed to talk in it. Are you, you think it's a safe space for Donald Trump? He will go on stage and say, I have the best plays. I know the best words and emotions. And I know I just have the best stage directions look at these (laughs) hands these hands look like they will shoot a gun in the third scene only if it appears in the first (laughs) you think donald trump will shut in a theater that's amazing hey you know what it is it's donald trump has vowed to build a fourth wall (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually gonna tweet that right now donald trump needs to build the fourth wall (laughs) and make the actors pay for it you think they have the money no screw that the production employees should build it at least it would be sturdy okay thank you everyone for joining us for another episode thank you for coming along Addy I had a fun time and thank you Hannah for joining us hopefully not for the first time and this will be uh... it was the first time Amy not for the first time (laughs) I messed that one up. None of this will ever get aired. Not for the first time. This will be in the deleted scenes. Um, I mean, that won't be the first time that happened. Let's try that one again. Uh, Thank you, Hannah, for joining us. Hopefully it won't be the last time that you join us and that you'll uh, come back again. Thank you so much. It'd be a pleasure and an honor. Need to get you on a show with Han. Then we'll have Han and Hannah, and it will get really confusing. Well, we hope everyone enjoyed the show. If you did, remember you can follow us on Twitter at underscore everything left. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everything left podcast. Email us with any messages, suggestions for, for topics to be discussed, or just general feedback at everythingleftpodcast at outlook.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you guys for joining me. What? Just say bye, Addy. <laughs> bye, Addy. <laughs> you know what they say? Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle, and this'll help things turn out for the best. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Go 